You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. All right, let's begin. Welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. My guest today is the great Phoebe Tires. Hello. Thank you for being here. Hi, hello. Hello. The great. The great. Let's uh, a little <laughs> bit of uh, just bringing people up to date. Phoebe performs uh, improvisation here at the Magnet Theater with the music industry as part of Megawatch. She performs sketch comedy with Stockton, That's recently right. renewed Stockton. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. What a good team. Uh, Phoebe is the host and creator of Phoebe Tonight Tonight. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh, also a, a regular contributing guest on the Unbelievable Podcast with oh, Brian yeah. Frangie, uh, uh, among many other accomplishments. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. What were we just talking about before the podcast started? Oh my God, we got right into. I know. We were talking, well, we're talking about, about directing and improv and, and casting and, and how to yeah how to be successful. Yeah. All right. Let's start off with just comedy in general because you made an interesting point that I I feel I relate to you you so what you don't think of yourself as a huge comedy geek. No, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, comedy. I found comedy later. I was 25. I'm not going to say my age now, but that was like, you know, a couple years ago. Um, uh, I, I found it later, I, you know, in a depressed mess. And then someone was like, why don't you take this class at Magnet? You'd be, you're funny. So, uh, I don't know. Someone said I was funny. And so I went and that changed my, my life. I like loved improv. You yeah. know, I, I got into it. Um, Charles Rogers was in that class, you know, really funny people who have continued to be some of my great friends, but, uh, growing up and things like I didn't watch the Simpsons every night, you know, I, I watched Nick at night. Maybe I didn't, uh, worship comedy. I didn't yeah. like watch stand up all the time. I watched it and I enjoyed it, but I never saw myself doing it. I was really into storytelling. I was really into theater um, I, you know, I studied playwriting and directing in college. I directed a bunch of one acts in high school and it really like got me into it. Um, I used to write poems as a kid. I guess Shel Silverstein was probably my biggest influence as a child in terms of character and dealing with the voices that were in my head. You know, I had a lot of, a lot of voices in my head and that's, I think why I led to playwriting and, uh, Playwriting was really fun, but it was also so lonely, mm-hmm. except for that I was, you know, talking with all these different people in my, in my brain. Yeah. What kind of a kid were you? What kind of kid was I? Yeah. Oh God, how do I, I mean, I'm a twin, so that makes me just a, you know, I was always like bouncing off of Claire in some way. Yeah. Um, I was a very sensitive kid. Um, uh, I was a leader in a lot of ways. I was always the captain of something. If there was a, something to win, I, I won it. Mm-hmm. I tried to win it. Naturally, was, or, or, or are you very competitive? Um, I wouldn't say that I was the kind of person that like, cut, like, tries to get in front you know, in any way. I, as much as I love to perform, as you've seen me, well, yeah, I love it. I'm not big on a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Like, my best example is like on my soccer team because I played soccer like really competitively. Um, uh, I wouldn't, I would, I was always an assister. Like I always passed the ball and uh, I was mid, center mid, captain of the team. And the only times I usually scored was when no one else would. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, fine. Now I have to go, I have to go get the attention of being the one who scored the goal. And that's like, that would be, you would like resent that. I didn't like it. I don't like a lot of attention. Like, and that's what was the hardest thing about improv for me was, was trying to figure out how to get in the center and make everybody look at me and enjoy that everyone's looking at me. Like I, I still to this day have a hard time when people pimp me into things. Yeah. And my thing is that if it's, if it's, under the umbrella of what I think is funny, then I'll do it. Otherwise, I just think you're trying to make me a clown and you're, I'm, I'm being like in the middle of something, I'm being presented in some way. Yeah. And I don't, I don't like that. I can't do it. I won't do it. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. That's, that's a great way. I, I'm, I, I'm very similar in, to, to a degree. And I think that feeling of being presented captures mm-hmm. it really nicely. I, I've thought about that a lot too, because like, I find that also, like, I feel, 
Mm. There are like moments on stage that feel really powerful. Mm-hmm. That you you know that all eyes are on you, and you know that people are really interested in what you have to say, and you kind of take it at your tempo and your volume and your and your and your speed. And and there's something about like, uh, um, yeah, great, you're listening to me right mm-hmm. now. Um, and then there are other times where like I like off stage, I hate attention. Yeah. Um, even on stage, most of the time I hate attention. I like, I like blending in. I like kind of, I don't play characters very well. I'm oftentimes playing pretty close to myself, but I also feel like in the best shows, like I'm kind of invisible, even when everybody's watching me and I'm speaking in a voice very similar to my own speaking voice. I kind of feel like I'm not really there. People can't quite see (laughs) me. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, uh, but Lewis, you always stand out. Sorry, man. I can't help it. You just can't help it. Yeah, I do know what you mean. It's it's a control thing for me. Like, I want to be, and I think comedians like to control when people laugh. And if I don't feel like I'm in control of why people are laughing at me, then I can't, like, it has to be, it has to be that. Yeah. Um, so that's why I don't like being pimped out to do things. And if I'm a bartender, even as a bartender, if, like, I take down my hair and people go, oh, nice hair, it immediately makes me want to, like, put it back up. Because yeah. I don't like the attention. It's like, oh, stop looking at me. Yeah, I, I, there's something that puts me in a place where I feel like I suddenly don't know exactly how to respond or, or like... I, it, it triggers this thing where I just like feel confused at attention. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's hard for me to accept it um, graciously. Like I just want it off me immediately. I, I, I <laughs> and this is something that I'm trying to get better at yeah. because like you got to score the goal, right? You know, you got, it's good. You're good enough. You're, um, you just, you got to go do it. And trust me, like I, you know, I think about my, my, childhood and there's many opportunities of me not you know not standing up and taking the limelight yeah when I totally could have yeah um and uh it's not like I'm the most humble person I've got an ego just like anybody but I I just I'm not a big attention whore um which is what's so funny about doing improv because you think we're all like obsessed with getting as much attention as possible um but I am working on taking the stage a little bit more and like being like, oh, it's okay for you to, you know, take the lead. Yeah. Take the lead in this scene. Do it. People seem to like it. You really like it. You're telling a good story. Like, go for it. Yeah. So, do you, um, do you like regret things? Are you somebody, like, do you live with regrets in your life? Or do you, or do you kind of like move forward? Oh, I move forward. I mean, things will pop up just like anybody's yeah. life. Um, but of course I like regret that I didn't discover comedy sooner. Mm. Uh, it's a great place for me. Um, it's both saved my life and made my life a mess uh, or like really hard. Comedy is so weird like that way because it's such a great place to deal with your, your thoughts and it, it makes a lot of sense for, let's see, how do I explain this? It's like you're always on the outside of things when, when you have like a, a comedian's brain, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. You're constantly looking at Christmas from for its absurdity rather than like enjoying the dinner with your family. Mm-hmm. I can't enjoy anything anymore. And I never really enjoyed anything before. But now what's great about comedy is now I know why. Uh-huh. Whereas before I was a very depressed kid, you know, was, uh, struggled with all kinds of issues, um, but always found a way to be uh, involved in things. I did good, in, did well in school. I'm wildly dyslexic. I struggled with reading. I lie, I like lied on everything. But I was so good at, at you know, listening to my teachers and doing well on the tests that like I, you know, I I graduated with a really good uh, grade point average, like three eight or something like that, which is absurd at the school I was at for how little I read mm-hmm. because I didn't understand that I was so dyslexic. Um, anyway, this is leading me somewhere, but I, I, so I was like a very, de- you know, struggled with a lot of depression and anger issues. And then when I discovered comedy, I was like, oh, it's because I see the world like these other people see the world and they figured out a way to enjoy that, mm-hmm. to, to have fun with it. And so now I can have fun with, with everything I am so disturbed by in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what's so, what's so great about it. And uh, hanging around with comedians, it's like we normalize each other. 
you know, we make each other feel normal. But when I get into a group with some other people who take some shit seriously that I don't, I'm like, what the hell? This is just like a Beyonce song. Like, I don't get it. What's wrong with you? Don't you see all these different things? I don't, uh, I, yeah, I feel really very much on the outside of what so much, what so many people enjoy. What I find weird when I'm, when I'm spending time with people who don't do comedy is not even that they take things too seriously because I, like, I generally take everything really seriously. So like, I'm comfortable <laughs> with people taking things. I actually prefer, like I hate being at the bar doing bits and shit. I, I, I just don't <laughs> do it. I just don't do it. I, you know, um, <laughs> but what I find weird talking with non-comedians is like I, there's something tone deaf they don't sense when something's in quotation marks and yeah. when it's not. Yeah. They, and, and comedians almost always pick up on each other immediately and, yeah. and have a sense of like, you're fucking around. The secret I, I, language, I, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's, just, it's this just very simple tone thing or this accent thing that you get where it gives you this ability to, yeah, share like really bizarre thoughts with each other or share mm-hmm. really off, off points of view about stuff because you know that these are... This thought is being kind of like held up to be viewed rather than believed in. You know, yes. I mean, like I don't believe this thing. Yeah, I'm like, like looking look at, at it, it yeah. through the eyes of of this like fictional point of view that does believe it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, uh, um, and, and non comedy people, the straights, mm-hmm. you know, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the pinks. You know, I, what is it? I think in uh, the book of Subgenius, right? It's like the pinks. I don't know. Is it the pinks? No. I don't read the book of the Subgenius. What is it? Yeah, I think this, the norms of the pinks and the and the uh, 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 there's the con and slack. Okay, whatever it is. <laughs> the, whole, the whole point of the religion of subgenius is uh, we're trying to win our slack back. Mm-hmm. That uh, as a species, somewhere along the line, we bought into the con. <laughs> and yeah. the con took away our slack. And we're trying to get our slack back. Yeah. Uh, which I happen to enjoy yeah, and, I, and I believe. I think that's true. And then some parts of me wish I was just a little bit less on the outside, you know? Like, I can't even, I just, it's so hard to just even enjoy just the normal things. Like, even going for a walk with your boyfriend, you're like, I just see it as, like, some comedy scene. Or, you know, it's just, but I'm also, um, that's also not always true. I can be, I can be serious, very serious. Well, when you say it's all a comedy scene, are you looking at stuff to, like, pick it apart for idea? Like, are you still looking at stuff from that improviser's brain of, like, if I had to initiate a scene in this location, this is what I would start with? Mm-hmm. Or is it more just kind of like you're always looking at things through different frames? Always looking, yes, more like that. Uh-huh. Um, yes, more like that. I think when I was coming up through improv, which I still am, still working at it, but obviously, as we all are, but I would definitely think about improv like 10 times more. And now it's just moved into this sort of bigger thing. I also do, you know, the Unbelievable podcast. I do a conspiracy theory podcast. I'm constantly looking at everything uh, just a little to the left or to the right of mm-hmm. what what people maybe are generally looking at. And I, I hope I don't sound like, wow, I've got the vision of all sides. I don't, but I'm, I suffer from trying to see too many different, different ways that, um, to experience the world. So, yeah, going for a walk with, with the boyfriend – it's hard to just stay focused and hold his hand and not be like, is this just a condition that we're in? <laughs> like, like how so? Like, uh, oh, it, gosh, it, I'm is, like it, is it the thing like, am I really experiencing this moment? Do I really feel these feelings or am I just kind of recapitulating like cultural conditioning? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Um, but then I can look at him and I'm like, oh, I do. I love you. And then again, it happens again. I'm like, what? What is this? Yeah. <laughs> it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. But thank God I have TMI. Yeah. You know, TMI is definitely coming to do those shows and just venting. Basically, once I realized that in improv you could just pull from your your life, uh, it just became that much easier and that much more fun for me. Just to vent in a lot of ways. That's one thing I I love because like I, I I guess this is true for most people I don't know but like for me the kind of like most of the time I'm just in like an unsettled uh, uh, state of mind non-committed state of mind it, it, it's just, like I, I feel uncertain 
about everything almost all the time. And if <laughs> yeah. I if I give myself license to really think about it, then I'm uncertain about even what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Do I really feel this way? Do, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, whatever it is. I'm and, with you. Which I, I think is healthy and good, especially like not to make like the the the, the information age boring cliche thing because I I am like tired of hearing this, but. But we do live in a particular era where we're just like constantly processing so much fucking information. Yeah, yeah. And bombarded with so many points of view. And, and then among all these different points of view, we're, we're being sold on, 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 on certain, like sold the party line and then sold this other provocative shit yes. to get us angry to buy, you know yes. what I mean? Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, yes. So it's, it's constant, especially in New York City, are you kidding me? Constant, it's constant. It's and, horrible. Yeah, and so you're always feeling this kind of like vertigo of like oh, information yeah. overload, you know what I mean? Yes. Like I'm getting like information sunburn. Um, and, and I think that like, in a way, it's a very natural state because it, you know what I mean? Like we live in like a world of relativity and, and, and there is no correct answer on everything. It's just no, like this like it's infinity, just... <laughs> infinity of perspectives. Yes, it's, yes. Um, and so like to me, the future is like adaptability. The future mm-hmm. is, is instead of like choosing one model of the world to make that our, our model and oversimplify everything or feeling this like horrible seasickness of like, constantly everything is mutating and I don't know where to stand. It's like learning that adaptability and flexibility to just like constantly be switching yes. your models all the time and mm-hmm. to, and to have that like relativity of like, all right, there's no one right vantage point. Yeah. It's just like, what, what is the framework for this particular situation that helps to get the most out of the situation or, or, or bring the most kindness to this that's moment improv. or whatever. And yeah, it totally is. It, that's what is so much fun about improv is, mm-hmm. A, it, it teaches you a little bit how to practice that flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. But it also gives you the opportunity to like settle for a little bit because when you're improvising, I can take of all these different voices in my head, I can take one of them and now pretend to be that one person at, at 90% instead mm-hmm. of being the 10% of that person that I am all the time. Yeah. And, and so for 20 minutes, you see the world through that person's eyes and you're not afraid about being wrong with it because your entire job is, I'm just going to magnify this one weird thing about this point of view and, and see what happens. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I get to, I yell so much in improv. I don't yell in normal life. That's not who I am, but I find myself in scenes where I'm just, you know, being a camp counselor that's yelling the whole time. It's great. Yeah. Like when other when <laughs> when else do I get to explore that? I've never was a camp camp counselor. So, do you find <laughs> are there like certain characters that come up for you all the time that somehow you're like you do a great job playing that are not yes. like you in real life? Uh, yes. Um, I mean, I play the the old lady a lot. I wouldn't say that she's not like who I am in real life because she just actually gets to say what I'm really thinking. But, um, cause she's old. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and that's, what's great about her. And I'd love to do, do more with her. Um, she's, it's not all of what, what I really think, but, uh, she's a great outlet for me. Um, I do play a lot of women characters. I am a woman, but, uh, I play a lot of women characters, that are, it's not that they're not intelligent. They have my experiences, but I get to, I get to use them to share my life actually mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I just use them to share about my life. Some, some of them are divorced or like, you know, uh, lonely or uh, desperate for marriage or something like that. And it's not that I'm all those things, not divorced, not desperate for marriage or um, lonely necessarily, but it's like uh, those are outlets for me to express, you know, uh, thoughts I have of like the way women are treated or something like that. I'll play like, an, uh, it's not like she's dumb, but I'll play someone who's accepting of a, a certain treatment of, from the world, mm-hmm. treatment from men or treatment from society that she just kind of is like, see, this is my small dress and this is my husband that never is home. And like she accepts it and is happy about it. Yes. It's like a, it's a fun way for me to deal with that reality 
in life or a feeling that I have, but to play it through this girl who's like happy about it or something or seems naive or, or something. Yeah. That, that, uh, um, cause like I, I think about that sometimes you see certain, certain performances where it's so clear that the performer is making like a comment on the character that they're playing. Mm-hmm. And I may not even be talking about improv right now. This goes for everybody, everybody. everything it goes for everything. And, and you have the sense that like they're holding up this character and there's a point that they're making about this character. Mm-hmm. And, and there are times where that point I could find that I agree with that point, but I'm uncomfortable with mm-hmm. the way that I'm being made to agree with yeah. it. it, it there, it, you, you are, uh, um, you are kind of keeping me at a distance from mm-hmm. it because you're making me congratulate myself for mm-hmm. having the right point of view about yeah. like, you know, women should be stronger and not be walking Look over. at this audience. Wink, Aren't wink, I wink. great that yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually used to suffer from playing in that, in that space and people would sort of comment to me that like you, I, that I was able to sort of hold both things in a way where I was able to sort of play on the outside of the scene mm-hmm. and yet keep people engaged. Uh, and I was always like, oh, that's good, but it's also not good. Right. Like, thank you for saying that I'm enjoyable when I'm doing the thing that we shouldn't be doing. Right. Uh, and I've gotten so much, my, I, my improv has gotten so much better the more I've committed to those characters. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it's like maybe that's just the starting point for some people who will eventually sink into committing Mm -hmm. or they'll just always stay in that place of being on the outside of what's truly funny and what's truly, uh, commit commitment and like what's really going to make people laugh in some, from somewhere else from their like deeper soul. But, uh, yeah, once I finally started committing to these characters, I've just become such a different player. What does that mean to you to commit to a character? Um, just, you're not on the out, you, and you're not on the outside of it, like I was just saying. Um, once you know it's happening, when you start having ideas about this character's life mm-hmm. that you shouldn't, you have no place to be having. Mm-hmm. You're not that person. You don't live at that house. You don't have those kids. Mm-hmm. You don't have that job. Why are you coming up with every? Why do you know so much about this person? Mm-hmm. And that's because you've committed to it and you're in it. Um, that happens when that happens. It's great. And it's not something that happens all the time for me. I'm not a big character actor. I do play characters. It's because I do improv. But uh, there are some people who I watch them sink into characters on a dime. You know, they just, there's there. Uh, for me, it, it, it doesn't happen all the time. But when it does, it's, it's so awesome. Because, yeah, you're just suddenly in it. You know, you can feel the feel whatever it is they have in their pockets. You know what you're going to pull out. You know why your feelings get hurt for some reason. It's so great. It's also maybe that we're crazy. I don't know. Yeah. This might just be a loony, a loony bin for some of us. But um, either way, it's a great place to discover, you know, get better at, at it, get better at your crazy. I love that you said you know what's in your pockets and you know what, 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 uh, uh, what drives you crazy. Yeah, yeah. That, suddenly, suddenly, and, and and for me, sometimes those things just suddenly occur. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it, it, I have to work for it and make a choice, and then one choice leads to yeah. a discovery. And sometimes I find myself locking eyes with the other person on stage, and all of a sudden, I just know this stuff. Yeah. It, it just like pops out, and and stuff like I know what's in my pocket for me. I find that so amazingly helpful. Mm-hmm. If I have something in my pocket that I wouldn't have in real life, all yes. of a sudden I can just like think mm-hmm. and speak in this other person's uh, 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 through their filter. Yeah, and like knowing shit like this is my trigger. Mm-hmm. This is the thing that if you do this, I'm going to get really sad, or if you do this, I'm going to get really turned on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 having those triggers too, it, it like helps me become more invested in the show. I find that for the commitment thing uh i'll notice that when i'm not really committed i'm playing my intentions out to the audience Mm -hmm. and so i'm setting everything up to get a laugh Mm -hmm. and when i'm feeling committed i'm playing the exact same intentions but i'm i'm 
sending them to my partner. To your partner? Oh, God, so much better. And then, like, I like I know that a laugh is going to come, but I'm not waiting no. for it. yeah. And so I'm not disappointed when it doesn't come. And and that seems to make all the difference in the world, is that, like, I'm, I'm like, dedicated <laughs> to, to... I mean, I guess it goes back to, like, Improv 101. I'm dedicated to affecting you, mm-hmm. not the audience, and I'm dedicating to letting you know how you can affect me. The best, the best part about a show is when you... The audience is just irrelevant (laughs) when you're just playing with your friends basically and you're so in it that that blackout comes without you knowing it because there's plenty of times where I'm looking at the clock going all right we need to tie things up uh we need to we haven't gotten to this point like I I want a good blackout you know they're gonna black us out soon and there's times where we're so in it that that blackout comes and I I'm like oh my god you know and that's and and it's still it still felt like it completed itself um it's rare that that'll happen and I'll be like, oh, shoot. Like, we didn't get a chance to blah, you know. That's more happening when I'm looking at the clock. Yeah. When I'm, like, on the outside of it. You can do both as you get better at improv and get better at, at you know, I don't know. You get better at it, like, being able to be looking at the clock and also inside a scene. But it's just better when you're that com- much more committed. I love it. There was a time where I kind of felt like... If I'm not aware of the clock, then that means I'm doing great. And if I'm aware of the clock, it means I'm not doing great. And I don't feel that way anymore. Yeah, you can I, be both. You can be both. And I actually feel like you you, you play along enough and, and you get good enough that like, if you think of it like left brain, right brain, mm-hmm. which is an oversimplification, but you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you, you can kind of sense when, when one is dominating the yeah. way that you're playing. You, you, you can like learn how to play shows from more of like a left brain strategic thing mm-hmm. or more of a right brain holistic feeling your way through it thing. And, and the difference is often when you're in that right brain holistic mode, you're kind of in the show and not really, obviously you know that there's an audience there, yeah. but you're not monitoring their experience. Mm-hmm. You're just following, you know what you want and you're doing that. Yeah. And then the lights go out and you're like, Oh fucking a, I guess that was, 30 minutes great <laughs> yeah. and then in the other one it's more strategic you're looking at the clock and you are making these moves three steps ahead yeah. you are like okay we have to kind of get to this place mm-hmm. and and I actually feel a lot more liberated not being superstitious about that being a problem anymore yeah. of like okay there's just certain nights both of those parts of the brain can both learn how mm-hmm. to get good at doing it and you can't always control which part is going to be guiding you that particular night mm-hmm. but you can learn how to play that way to the best of your abilities mm-hmm. you know um which I, I i like that because it it makes me feel less like i'm failing if it's not magic yeah all the time. yeah yeah i used yeah. to feel like it's either magic or it's nothing <laughs> yeah no i mean one of the biggest appeals when i started watching improv was trying to figure out how you guys you know knew when to end a show and when to do this scene and when to do that I think there is all this magic but it was also attractive to me to that left side of the brain that structure side is that the structure side I don't even know yeah Yeah, um, that structure side was really appealing to me I like structure I like chemistry I like math I was always better at that stuff you know that stuff makes sense to me that's why I like sketch so much Um, there's like an order to it. And yet it also has to, both things, cause it's comedy has to always feel like it's about to fall apart. So yeah. it's a structure that's a, it's a building that's about to fall at all times. That's, yeah. that's sketch. That's, that's improv. So both are so, are so important, but I used to uh, be frustrated that I wasn't able to figure out this structure. And then uh, it just comes naturally though. That's yeah. what I guess my big point is, is that eventually like I'm making moves that uh, I, without thinking yeah. about it, because I know internally now what what to do, and it's there's no stress, there's no like, gosh, I should have known to make this move. It's mm-hmm. just happening. It mm-hmm. just happens. It's so great about it. You just keep doing it. Biggest advice: just keep doing it. It'll yeah. happen for you. You know. Uh, yeah. Do you remember internalizing that, like, or, or is that kind of like, like a dream for you now? What? Learning what how to do the right things. Because there is a period where you're, you're like internalizing it. It, it. It's a lot of work to internalize like, yeah. okay, what's the payoff? Yeah. And you fuck it up far more often than you don't fuck mm-hmm. it up. And you feel miserable and you're embarrassed. That's the thing that's like such a head fuck about improv too. Mm-hmm. Is that like, 
you you get if you're an artist you know you warm up by mm-hmm. sketching 50 human figures before you get to work on the one that you really want to do yeah and nobody sees your failures and in improv all of your students see your you're failures you're done yeah and yeah. all of your peers see your failures it's right there in the moment yeah and and for like a couple of years they're seeing your failures way more often than they're not seeing mm-hmm. your failures and it, the fact that anybody follows through and and like comes out the other side is fucking amazing yeah i mean i don't know i think it's because so many you have so many people around you that keep doing it keep telling you like you you mess up sometimes. That's just how it is. That's yeah. improv. I think that's the best encouragement that you can get. Like, I don't think anybody would do it if you didn't have all your teachers and peers saying, "Hey, guess what? You're not. You're gonna mess up. That's part of it." Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I just anytime I tried to complain about, oh God, I didn't get it. I didn't do it. I didn't. I missed that moment. I could have came back out and done a second beat on this guy, this character. They were. Was asking for it. They set it up for me. I didn't do it. And then your team is kind of like, huh? And you're like, oh, right. Why? This is, it is all, huh? You know, you, know? What, you know what? That makes me think of it is because, like, that attitude of, like, eh, right? Like, there's a good version of that and a bad version yeah. of that. When it's bad, it's when people just don't care yeah. anymore and mm-hmm. they're not invested. But, but there's a good version of that where, to me, the subtext of it is like, Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah, get over it. You have get to just it. get over it. And also, you're a comedian. It's funny. You didn't do it. Yeah. Laugh at yourself. Yeah. You didn't figure it out. You'll do it next time. Yeah. If you want to get better, get better. Yeah. You know, like, and if you if you really care about it, it's just like it's not gonna work. Yeah. It's just it's just not gonna work to really care that much. You know, it, you have to want to get better though. Uh, you know. You just have to want to. Yeah. Um, otherwise, people on your team may start to go, hey, buddy, you're really dropping the ball. Like, that might actually start to happen. Yeah. But it's not going to if you only do it, you know. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Well, there, there's a difference between not caring and carelessness. Yeah. And carelessness is something that, like, people will want to not play with you anymore when you become careless. Yes, Because exactly. you're, you're not... You're not using what's in front of you. You're not responding to what's being asked of you. You're just like not attentive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, whereas like not caring, there's got to be a better word for it than not caring. <laughs> yeah. it, I'm yeah. sure there's like some Zen word for it that's exactly right. But it, it's this kind of state of like... God, yeah, I don't know what the word is either, but it's so important yeah. in comedy. And you know what? You can be both. I have other friends that are really... If a scene isn't good, they want to talk about it and they want to intellectualize it and they want that you to get better and to know that you did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're still very funny comedians, successful comedians, but they live with this like intensity that if I had in this part of my life, I don't know if I'd still what I would be doing. Yeah. I have intensity and I judge myself in every single other outlet. like finding comedy in a, in a place where make, making a mistake might actually be the best thing you could do yeah. uh, is a good place for me. I mean, this is a good place for me to not know how to pronounce certain words because it's so fun for my teammates to play with me when I can't figure out how to say something. Yeah. You know, like, where else can I go where my flaws and my inability to know something uh, is... It's gonna be so much fun. Yeah. So um, I can't judge it. I can't. I can't hate on myself for it, or else I'll have nowhere else to go. Well, that's what I I like so much about it is is there's like a streak of imperfection through improv. It, it, like Armando said one time, if if you're doing it perfectly, he's talking about Harold's. If you're doing a perfect Harold, you're not doing it right. Yeah. Um, which I think <laughs> is totally true because you can become good enough, you can become skillful enough mm-hmm. and practiced enough oh, yeah. that you can make all of the correct choices mm-hmm. and have a show that more or less functionally is perfect beginning to end. But it's like soulless. Yeah, It, it just doesn't have that that feeling of, of, of that like wild animal feeling yeah. to it. You know, and, and, and there is something about... about being comfortable bringing your own imperfections uh, 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 front and center yeah. and having them be what 
gives the scene that extra something that makes it feel really alive, yeah. you know, which is interesting. You and I did the blackout. Yeah. Uh, um, and the blackout's probably my favorite show I've ever put up. I love doing it. It's a super fun show. And part of what I like about it is, is, um, the spirit of the show is like anything that you do in the scene is, is, Great. Yes. Fine. Yes. You have total freedom to (laughs) do and say whatever you want to do. Um, But there's like a couple of things in the show that are like super, super set. The structure of how it's blacked out, the Mm -hmm. structure of like the stage setup and all that kind of stuff. And so, so it's total freedom for you as an actor against this contrast of really orderly choices Mm -hmm. in the background that you're not making, but, but you're creating the sense of deliberate orderly choices. Mm -hmm. And so because those background choices, the chairs are set very, very specifically, the lighting cues are very, very specific. It gives you freedom to not worry about showing off the prettiest part of your personality. You just say what comes to mind and it all seems to work because the framework is so deliberate feeling that what you choose to, to put in the center of that frame is all good. And I, I, for me, when I feel that permission to wander in scenes, yeah, to not hit the game hard, mm-hmm. to fuck up the pattern, to not make the funny choice, uh, um, if I feel that permission, all of a sudden, it feels really easy to mm-hmm. play and really fun to play, and I feel like totally. I don't know the right word that I'm I'm trying to express, but that Zen word that I don't yes. know that it, hitting that place of like <laughs> yeah uh, uh, of not caring, mm-hmm. caring not caring, whatever the fuck it is. That's what comes out. That's what it feels like. Yeah, I I am I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I when I'm not thinking, that's when I'm having probably the most fun. Or it's it's in between. It's like it's, it's that Zen word. It's like uh, you're not caring, but you're caring. You're in it. You're listening. But you're not uh, worried about being funny and clever and making sure you're following through with everything. Naturally, that stuff happens. I think naturally, we're naturally inclined to tell a good story. So at least for those of us who choose to do improv or theater or comedy, like somewhere in you, you want to you tell a good story. And if you just get out of the way of that, your body will tell it. Yeah. It just tell a good story. If you find a character, your character will tell a good story, a funny story, a dark story, whatever story it's going to tell. I mean, that's at the end of the day, I think that's what attracted me to this uh, improv, uh, you know, so much. Yeah. Is this the constant storytelling of so many different people and different things and ideas um, and sketch as well. It's so, it's so fun. And, I, I come from a playwriting background, so writing sketch was really difficult in the sense that I was like, oh, it's got to be four pages or less. You know, that in my mind, yeah, let's cut it down. Let's get to the point really quickly. Um, but uh, what I do think was helpful, or because my plays were often really short and everyone spoke really, like, very short sentences. I don't, I'm not a big wordy person. And that works in in sketch and... Um, I don't know, just getting getting to the heart of those story, getting to the heart of that story as fast as possible is really appealing to me. Yeah. What what's the the that's probably what are like key differences between playwriting and sketch writing? Um uh length probably. Okay. I mean that's a huge difference. Um uh let's see. You you aren't gonna set something up. You you have everything happens really fa- a lot faster in sketch. I guess that's like almost the only difference I can I can say because mm-hmm. in a play your characters have a want. In a sketch, your characters may or may not have a. I mean, will maybe have a want. It's like depends on what style of sketch it is. Um, but like if you're doing a wordplay sketch, that's not gonna last. You can't do that in a play. It's mm-hmm. just not gonna last. You know, like you could do Waiting for Godot in four pages or you can do it in two acts, Mm -hmm. three acts. Uh, I think it's a two act play, but um, it it could just be this, you know, could just be, you know, the four pages or this one huge thing. It just uh, I think length is really almost one of the only only differences. Obviously, in a in a play, you're going to tell multiple stories, but you can tell multiple stories in a sketch, too. 
It's just you're telling them in one line. Yeah. And depending on how your actors and your your script is, you can do that in a sketch. You can touch five different characters' lives in a few sentences, um, depending on how you choose to express it. I mean, in my mind, uh, with a play, you're going to get to actually explore everything about that person. You might see their living room. You might see the pictures on their mantle. But you can, you can kind of touch on that in the sketch. Well, it's interesting, like, thinking about how Waiting for Godot would play if it were four pages long. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it feels like you would kind of boil it down to, like, sort of one essential game. Mm-hmm. Which there really is kind of like one overriding game to the to the play as it is, but you'd really boil it down and call attention to the function of that game, mm-hmm. and and by keeping it so short, you'd find as many ways to hit that game, uh, uh, and be done with it. And yeah. it's almost like it takes that same idea and keeps it at a further distance. Yes, yes. By being so succinct, you keep it at a distance, and so you're able to enjoy the construction and laugh at it and mm-hmm. move on. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a two act three-hour version of that, mm-hmm. the game plays in a totally different way. And, yes. and And the longer you stay with it, the more you, the closer you are to the idea until eventually you're, like, immersed in this other world. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, the more I get into sketch, the more I, when I first started doing it, I missed playwriting so much because I was like, I, I feel like we don't get, to really experience this concept. We don't get to stretch it out. We don't get to explore all the different people that might be involved in this idea or game or concept. Um, I really missed that. But the better I got at Sketch, the more I realized you really can. Yeah. You really can. It's just, like I say, it's just condensed into this tiny packaged thing. That's why it's so challenging because every single twist and turn is so important. I mean, I read, I used because I studied playwriting, I read so many plays, there's so much sh- shit you could just cut out of somebody's play. They don't need it, but they have the time, so why not take it? Yeah. You know, and it's good, it's acting, and it's not like I'm, I'm the queen editor that can just come in and edit Arthur Miller or something. I, I wouldn't edit Arthur Miller, actually. I, um, I might edit a little bit. <laughs> but, like, you know, there's, you know, I don't know, the you don't need it all, but in time, in plays, you have it. You might as well take it, and uh, every line is, matters yeah. in a play as well. Every single line, um, but with sketch, it really, it really does too. So they're they're a great marriage. They're great. They're they're really cool together. I just stopped doing playwriting because uh, it was too pretentious, to be honest. I mean, not that sketch can't be pretentious too. Comedy nerds, man. Yeah, I don't want to get in the middle of them. Yeah, but. Uh, but it's kind of harder for a sketch to be pretentious because <laughs> because at the end of the day, you're either laughing at it or you're yeah, not. Yeah. It, it's such an automatic response mm-hmm. that if you're not laughing, you cut through the bullshit of like, well, these were my intentions with this sketch. So yeah. Nobody gives a well, fuck. Well, it didn't work, dude. I, that was my problem. I studied a little bit of dramatic writing in college, and, and I remember like assume genius was the mantra of the class. Every 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 single word in this play is carefully chosen. Yeah, yeah. And assume genius on the part of the author. And and it was a real head fuck for me because mm-hmm. like, okay, that looking to analyze these plays, that's mm-hmm. a pretty good strategy to get into them. I'll assume that everything's intentional. But I kept on finding myself like, am I bored and annoyed by this because I'm supposed to be? Or am I bored and annoyed by this because this fucking sucks? Sucks, yeah. Is it really all carefully well chosen or is that a bunch of bullshit you know what it might be a bunch of bullshit Lewis because in my short time as a playwright for the like I mean four years in college when I was studying it and then I had a theater company for about two years outside of college before I discovered improv um and I was doing putting these plays up as writing like I would write and then I would read certain plays and I'd be like there is no difference between the way I chose to write this play and the way you know, uh, some of these other playwrights, Pinter, anybody. I was like, I could just see them just kind of putting down work, you know, just letting their brains go and just sticking with it. And then, you know, now it's like a, you know, hit play. But it, yeah, they just kind of let their mind go. Yeah. Uh, It's not necessarily as meticulous as we're told. You know, it's it's maybe a lot more freeing than than we think it is. Which is fine by me yeah 
I, I find that a lot more human and a lot more accessible. Mm-hmm. It, it like, I think it's easier. It's actually very like refreshing. I didn't really meet any playwrights until after I was out of college. And then I, I, I met a couple and I worked with a couple and kind of seeing them up close and reading the scripts and watching the scripts develop mm-hmm. and realize of like, oh, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're not like it, reading people who are dead and their productions are already like world famous plays. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to just kind of assume mm-hmm. this like meticulousness. Mm-hmm. And there is some. There I are mean, some for sure. I yes. mean, like Oscar Wilde's amazing. I mean, there's so many amazing playwrights that I, that are just like ab- out of this world. You smart. probably wouldn't fuck with like Long Day's Journey into no. You probably leave it pretty much as no. it is. No, or or anything by Edward Albee or any. But even them, like I can see them letting their characters. It comes back to a sketch. Comes back to improv. They let these voices go, and the voices tell the story. Yeah. And the voices can't help but bring up patterns, bring up things, discover what's in their pocket. The same way improv like I as a writer as a when I was writing and letting dialogue just happen like naturally without even knowing it I'd go back and read it and discover patterns characters what when I would write I would often not put names I wouldn't put uh, character names yeah so I, I would just write dialogue yeah, yeah and then later I would come back and discover how many people were in the room that's really interesting based on oh, you know, what what responses were happening. And sometimes there'd be four, sometimes there'd be two. Sometimes I'd be like, oh, this is definitely a woman. Yeah. Or this is definitely a man. Um, uh, yeah, that's how I, that's how I, that's how I write. That's how I used to write. With sketch, it's a little, it's, I don't, I can't approach it that way. Yeah. It's not as freeing in that way. In sketch, like, I'll have to wait for so long to come up with something that fits. Yeah. It just takes forever. And then finally, something will come into my brain, an idea, a concept, and I'll hear it. I'll just hear it briefly. And I'll write that one thing down. And usually with my team, I'll bring in one pager. I'll bring in maybe even four lines of dialogue. It's usually a one page. And it has that one first joke in it. And then I sort of let them sort of riff and tell me what what to do with it. But uh, all I could get usually is just that one voice that is like this is what's this is what's funny right here uh what to do with it where to go with it that you can you can let your team sort of help you with um sketch is harder for me definitely here's here's my uh um my my love and and less than love thing with sketch and my love and less than love thing with with playwriting Mm -hmm. or longer longer (laughs) i love the the precision of sketch Mm mm-hmm um, and I think that you have to be a really sharp writer because it does either it plays or it doesn't play. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are laughing and enjoying it or they're not. Mm-hmm. And you know immediately. Yeah. And you cut through the bullshit of your rationalizing immediately. Mm-hmm. I remember years ago when I was on Megawatt, um, we had a not great show and Armando was giving us notes after the show and somebody was like, well, actually when I came in and made that move, this was my intention yeah. behind it. And Armando said, I'll just go outside and get the audience back in here and you can explain that <laughs> to them. And it, like, yeah, it was okay. a really cutting thing to hear. Mm-hmm. But it, like, it drove that point home of like, yeah. doesn't matter, cut through that. And that's You like, have to just say, come out and say. Yeah, a, a lot of like the playwrights that I met in college and after college, it mm-hmm. was like, you could not realistically address the fact that this just is not playing mm-hmm. because every time you brought it up, it would be an hour and a half fucking lecture yeah. about their oh, intentions God. and the themes. This is and why all I stopped. Bullshit. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I so, couldn't do it. No one's ever saying what they really mean. Right. Fuck it. Or acknowledging that, like, well, if it doesn't register, if it, if you're not creating the experience, yeah. if you're not giving people this experience, it doesn't fucking matter what your intention. There's an excuse was. for everything. So in sketch, it's great because it's like the perfect, like, yeah, this doesn't work. It's just not working, bro. Yeah, and when it does work. <laughs> It's like you got to be sharp. It's like solving a puzzle. Mm-hmm. It is. You know, that's what's awesome. What's less awesome about it is I think you can get so conditioned to like this works, this doesn't work, this mm-hmm. works, this doesn't work that sometimes you stop yourself from being surprised. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot to be said for like something that takes a little bit more time mm-hmm. to develop that doesn't hit your game immediately. Yeah. You have to be patient with it because if you're patient with it and invest yourself in it, you're going to be surprised by something a character does later on and it makes the patience so worthwhile. You know, the sketch program at Magnet, I really recommend it because I do see that 
while you know that what you're talking about well there's some sketches that will fall into that that pattern that very structured pattern that's really sort of celebrated at other theaters and celebrated on television of just like a sort of like very i can i just know what's coming oh it's so boring and um but uh i will say like we're we're working at that surprise that element of just you thought you knew where this sketch was going Mm -hmm. but look at this like it started off with this one simple pattern of a bunch of hairstylists doing hair and making you know bad jokes about being a hairstylist, but you didn't realize it was going to end with them being witches around a cauldron, mm-hmm. putting hair into a cauldron, and you know like all this just all of a sudden blowing it out, it's blowing that top off at the very end, surprising each other, surprising ourselves. Um, so it's 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 not something that um, I don't necessarily write that way. I'm very pattern. Like writer, I like to keep my sketches pretty short too. I like to keep them. And there's not a lot of language, but I try to choose stuff that's so fun, like so goofy, yeah. that it's fun to just commit to this silly pattern. Yeah. Uh, so I, I like I like to commit to those types of things, but uh, I do want that element of surprise. You just have to bring the audience with you. It, that's the only problem with that is sometimes you don't want it to just not make sense. You know, yeah. it just has to, it has to make sense. Um, and it's not a scene. It's a sketch. Right. There's a difference. So uh, very nice that you were able to write a five page, five page scene. But we're, what we're trying to do is isolate. And I, what I love about sketch and improv, both of them can do this is isolating something and blow and just, blowing that one thing out right look at the mileage how much you can stretch out of one silly very simple thing um i I love that i love that um and the genius would be being able to juggle that with maybe three sub things around it but never leaving this one in this one thread Mm -hmm. and and yet being able to color it with several different little minor character traits or minor games. Um, that's where the genius is, is, is in there, I think, um, being able to find all that. Well, it seems like the, the sketch is all about zeroing in on, on, on the game mm-hmm. and then finding as many different specific heightened ways to play that as possible mm-hmm. and as so so like i talk about this in classes when i'm teaching group games that the idea is to find a surprising way to do exactly what everybody expects yeah um so that you're both fulfilling and undermining expectations all the time yeah. and that's how you keep it interesting but it, it it always is this thing of it comes back to this one specific thing that we're just finding a new angle on mm-hmm. whereas like in a scene some scenes will have that sometimes but but what makes something feel more like a scene than a sketch to me is is by the end of the scene somebody will have changed somehow yeah some the way that you relate to each other the way that you affect each other mm-hmm. changes things somehow even if it's really really small it changes things somehow mm-hmm. and oftentimes in a sketch things don't really change no it's it's a different that's not what it's trying to i mean there are so many different ways to approach sketch so, yes, you're right. Like, normally, no. It's not about that. That's just not what it's about. And if that's what you want, and that's what you're looking for, and that's what's, you're just not going to necessarily get it. Right. That being said, a good sketch show has a, a really loose sketch that's really loose and crazy. Um, a really structured sketch that follows, like, a pretty specific pattern. Maybe a really wordy sketch that is really specific and then maybe like a character sketch Mm -hmm. and a heartfelt sketch like it just has these expresses all of these different things so you can maybe watch a sketch about someone discovering something new at the very end but like I said that's not it's not really the point of of sketch it would make for a good show though it would make for a good moment in a show if you had this little little nugget well, now we're talking about two different things because there's there's what you learn and how you hone your abilities to craft a sketch. Mm-hmm. But then you take a step back and look at a bigger picture, and now you're talking about how to direct a show mm-hmm. and how to put up a good a comedy nice show. entertainment that yeah. like really works. When um, 
I, I, I probably talked about this on the podcast, on the podcast before. When I was in Chicago, um, when I did the boat for Second City, mm-hmm. we spent a week like learning their running order and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and like they encourage you to go see shows. And they have a really cool thing at Second City, and it's designed in this really interesting way where they use blackouts in very very effectively. Yeah, and 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 they have they've worked it out almost to like a science because they've been doing it for so long mm-hmm. uh, of like where the really dumb sketch goes and mm-hmm. where the really wordy sketch mm-hmm. goes and, and how many blackouts to put in uh, to control the rhythm of it and then where like the serious one goes, mm-hmm. where the relationship scene goes. And it all creates this variety that makes the evening work, yeah. but it also allows for many different voices to kind of like harmonize together. Yeah. Because like you see so many silly things and blackouts in a row that it's actually a relief when you land on a two person scene that's just about this couple or whatever. And it's actually like as an audience, you like appreciate that you're being given the time to rest from laughing. Uh, And then you really invest in these characters. And then just when the energy is built back up again, you go to the dumbest fucking scene you've ever seen in your life or Mm -hmm. whatever. And it's like a really, really awesome way to design it as a director now. Mm-hmm. To, to to lead an audience through a whole night's worth of of not just comedy, not just like laughing at pretty, but like a whole nights of like experience. Yes, you walk away with this great experience. Even in uh, Phoebe Tonight Tonight, my talk sh- it's like a I don't it's a talk show, it's a late night show, but obviously it's not like I bring on celebrities or anything. It's very silly. There's lots of different little bits, sort of late night style stuff. I do one bit that's called Phoebe Jesse Raphael. I don't know if you remember Sally Jesse Raphael. Do you remember that? Boy, do I ever. <laughs> well, it's like it's like uh, Sally Jesse Raphael meets Jerry Springer. Mm-hmm. I'm acting like Sally, like that sort of style, but it's very much like a lot of like emotional yelling and relationship stuff. Very funny, really fun stuff. But during that show, I te- I will always I have a uh, usually Mike Delisle plays this character. Well, he brings like the heart to it, where I either fire him or tell him that he has to leave because he won't stop showing people his scar. Something that's emotionally like, oh my God, this poor guy. And at, you know, I get, he's like my runner. And during the show, like there'll be a moment where it's just music playing and it's him walking around trying to connect with somebody or mm-hmm. something. So it's like kind of sad, kind of emotional, but it's a nice palate cleanser in the middle of the show to be, watching this wacky thing but actually be following sort of following this one character's life a little bit watching them break down or watching them connect with somebody just just a little bit of a character attachment a little bit of soul you know you got to have that in there somewhere in my mind yeah um it's important to me as a storyteller like I always in my shows too I'm always like oh this is me trying to find someone to marry yeah or this is me trying to find someone to date. <laughs> the two things that women that women want so much, you know. Um, if anything, it tells a good story. I think, like, going back to like comedy obsessiveness, um, uh, like I, I actually find like perfect comedy to get like it actually drains me at the end. Mm-hmm. The day. There's something that I really like about like unexpected emotions suddenly appearing or like good storytelling suddenly mm-hmm. appearing in the middle of something that's like super, super funny that like is actually, it feels like more refreshing somehow. Oh yeah, definitely. We need it. Yeah. I think we, I mean, not all of us do, but some of us do. Yeah. I, I don't do this stuff because I'm really a gamey person because I like comedy a lot because I like the structure of comedy so much I do it because I think the world is a sad hard place to live in and I want to explore that and express that through different characters yeah I mean that's just I don't know where else to I mean it's also fun I also love living here but um that's it's touching this place is a touching place and there's characters that I get I'll be watching a show and I'll be like Touched by, touched by a character. That sounds so bad. Uh, you know no, what no, I mean, no, though. Very... I don't. I'm not physically touched. Um, that sounds to me more like touched by an angel. Touched by an angel. Well, some plays are just some improv scenes are like being touched by an angel. Oh yes. You know. 
sometimes I, this is like so bizarre. I'll be in the middle of a show that's going really well. It's like a really funny show. And I'll just like have the thought uh, like from like a distance and be like, well, these characters will die someday. Yes. It, it, like there's some, <laughs> it, like all of a sudden just having that like mm-hmm. context of, of like, oh, there's like, and I think that like it, it's in the way that I play a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's like something kind of sad in the background. Oh my gosh. Yes. Lewis. In fact, I do think comedy and comedians think about death so much. Maybe it's just an artist thing. I don't know. But death comes up constantly. And we're always talking about it. And we're always dealing with it in our shows. Just constant death talk. Well, I don't even think it's necessarily like the morbidness of it. Though that's mm-hmm. like a big part. And certainly like a lot of comedians are very morbid people. But, but in my mind, it's more just like, that's the reality of it. Yeah. That's, that's the background against which our lives play out. I know. It, 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 we're gifted with these very complex minds and souls and, 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 and there are many layers to us. And, and along with that complexity is this kind of knowledge of the weirdness of, of the universe mm-hmm. and the weirdness of the fact that we are not here forever and then we appear and then we're not here forever again. <laughs> uh, um, and, and like, yeah, I, I, sometimes I, I, it makes me feel very sad, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I don't feel sad about it. It's just this kind of like, it's more of like a curiosity thing. It, it, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's more of yeah. like, man, like the world itself is so basically weird. Everything, the appearance of anything is so basically weird that like, if that isn't somehow in the background uh, of the shit that we're creating, then it feels like inauthentic to me somehow. Yeah. That, that's what's in my mind all the time. It's just like, it just, I, and it sounds like such a stoner point of view, but it's like, oh, it's just so weird that I'm even here. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, this is what I mean. This takes us back to the very beginning of this, of this conversation. Just that being constantly on the sidelines of life, like watching, watching it all the time. And then just playing into it whenever you want, tagging it. I'm making some shitty improv metaphor about living. Uh, just like constantly seeing the world um, as a on the outside of it. Like, oh, we're all going to die. Look how op- absurd it is that we're here even. Look up how absurd all this junk is and how much meaning we put on so much stuff that doesn't matter. You know, I just, I envy the guy that, the per- people that, can enjoy their stupid like holiday you know I just don't get it anymore and I'm trying to find my way back to it my, my older sister has two kids I have to I have to go and pretend like I give a shit about all this these weird rituals you know like you know and I, I try to have fun with them but I'm they are absurd and they are they're I don't I it's just a calendar and I don't get it you know I uh but I'm trying you know to to get into it. Yeah. Because it's better. It's just better. It's better to play than to be on the outside. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. I just know I might be happier if I play a little bit more. All right, Phoebe, where can people find out more stuff about what you're up to these days? Well, you can check out the Unbelievable Podcast, which is a comedy conspiracy theory podcast I do with host Brian Frangie. We're co-hosts now. Uh, it's really, really fun. It's on SoundCloud. and Or you could just go to unbelievable.com. You can follow us on on Twitter. It's really a fun, a very fun podcast. We're talking all about aliens right now and they're real, Lewis. They're here. And in fact, you might actually be one. I'm with you. <laughs> um, yeah, you can come to the magnet. You can see me at the magnet. Also, um, I'm in a pilot that, uh, should be coming out maybe in June. Um, directed by Michael Showalter. Oh, the cat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 network. Um, we don't know yet, but, or it's not announced, so I can't, I do know, but it's not announced. Right. Um, Jack's Productions is, is doing it. Awesome. Uh, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty cool. One of the scariest things I've ever done was filming that, sh- having Michael Showalter direct me in a scene was really, was really intense. Did you have to like find a way to compartmentalize, uh, uh, like any insecurities? Because I, yes, I didn't have any time. Yeah. It, this was, let's go right now. You have to go batshit crazy on this guy. Like that's why my part in it was just basically yelling and saying fuck a lot. And, uh, I didn't have time to take in the experience almost at all. And, and I think that's better. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know he was going to be there. And I, like I said, I'm not a comedy nerd. 
I knew that it, this would have been important for some other people that mm-hmm. I knew. I was like, God, my boyfriend would really love it if he was here right now. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm having fun. Keep an eye open for her, folks. Uh, uh, anything else you're doing? Phoebe Tonight Tonight coming back soon? Yeah, actually, I'm probably going to do a Phoebe Jesse Raphael, like a whole show. I mean, Phoebe Tonight Tonight presents Phoebe Jesse Raphael Christmas Spectacular uh, December 20th at the Magnet Theater. It's going to be absolutely hilarious. It's going to combine my two favorite things, improv and sketch. Phoebe Tires, this has been a fascinating <laughs> conversation. Thank you for talking. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, and thank you guys for listening. This has been the Magnet Theater Podcast. Thanks to our producer, Evan Ford Barden. Thanks to our engineer, Grant Michael Goldberg, and our executive producer, Ed Herbstman. My guest again today with many special thanks, Phoebe Tires. Good night. Good night. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> thanks for listening. Bye. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.